Jacob here from the Back to Back Films podcast. I just wanted to let you know that Keith, Byron, and I love bringing the show to you guys so much that we're collectively putting in 25 hours to the show every week, and we wouldn't change that for the world. But if you guys took 25 seconds to rate and review us on your podcatcher, we would love it even more. This helps us a ton and is often the only way for little podcasts like ours to grow naturally. And if we like the review, we'll even read it on the show. Also, if you want to become a supporter of the show, there's a link in the show notes. Or you can go to anchor.fm slash btbfilms and look for the support this podcast button. We appreciate all the donations, and thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. It was a pretty cheap production that was like this kind of weird co-production through like South Africa. Um, but I remember, okay, it had 30 to 45 million. So like, it's fairly cheap for like an action movie. But dude, if I could just like single-handedly finance Dread 2, I so would like, I would have done that already. <laughs> I'd pay a couple mil for the rights, if drop you were a 30 mil in the next you would self-produce. <laughs> if I was a millionaire, I would self-produce my own films all the time, yeah, dude. dude. Drop awesome. a mill or two on your own movies yeah. and have no no one yeah. beholden to no one. We think about it like right. like Bezos and all those guys, they can do that shit. They can literally make fucking the new Transformers movie with 200 mil. And Bezos would, spends a billion dollars yeah. on his own company of his own wealth yeah. it's so to do whatever he wants, dude. It's <laughs> fucking crazy. I would do that all the time. And then I always thought that too. I would finance like little short I would finance the new the new incoming filmmakers. Yeah. Like you know, here's some money to kickstart your short. Like And you know? all that if you're an executive producer, you just get fucking royalties or whatever off that shit. If it makes yeah. money, then it's like, dude, you know? Exactly. Like <laughs> Exactly, dude. I I would like to think that I would finance indie filmmakers but my my gut says i i honestly think that i would get the money and then i would want to like keep expanding and keep growing to like a bigger and bigger audience you know what i mean you like do that's, both though i mean like you can do both i think yeah. you could do both and then you yeah. could but partner I, I think with people like, who could bring in more capital too yeah right i think it just depends for me i think it just depends on what what is like needed you know uh and like where's like the best place for for my stuff to be because, uh, like, there's companies that are, like, dedicated to getting indie filmmakers, like, up and going. And there's, like, a ton of them. Like the you know Kevin what I mean? Spacey Foundation or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Kevin Spacey or the... what? Who's the guy who did the mariachi or whatever? The, uh, oh, Robert, Robert Rodriguez. Rodriguez, yeah. Right, Robert Rodriguez has his one. And I don't know. There's uh, there's a lot. There could be more, I guess. But uh, I'm just thinking, like, I would want depends. to have my own sort of, like... I don't know what it would be foundation or some sort of organization where, you know, you could kind of help filter out like people who are really dedicated to their craft, you know, read some couple like short scripts 
and just kind of kickstart some people, you know, because yeah. like the hardest oh, part yeah. about kickstarting your own thing is the cash, the capital. Like, yeah, that's right. Really the biggest thing. If I but if I had that capital, I think I'd just go make my own movies. But if you know you, but I'm not talking mean? about a lot. I'm talking like here's like five thousand, ten thousand dollars to kickstart your film. And then you would if you built it correctly, your your foundation, you could, you know, have fundraising and financing for it to help keep it going. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would you right. would start it yourself, but it would eventually grow into something where it's funded not just by you. Right. And of course I, I would fund I, my own movies too. Like Yeah. I guess if I had that much cash to burn, then yeah, sure, but I, I think I'd rather spend the ten thousand like ten thousand free bucks on like my own. I mean project. I get that. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Like But I totally I get the sentiment of it, you know. But if you're a billionaire dude, you could fucking you know, tip waiters five thousand bucks like it was, you know, nothing. It's so, actually like, nothing. Right. Yeah. But that's how you go bankrupt though. You don't go you don't stay a billionaire by tipping five thousand dollars no, at the cafe. I know, but you if know? you give other independent filmmakers like ten thousand bucks to do a film, that film could end up being like seen by someone and that filmmaker could then be doing shit and then you could be like an you'd be, producer exactly. and you'd be getting money because he could be the next exactly. guy that's helming the Star Wars film and you're fucking producing it because you got him, you know, started and seen. You could be the guy credited. And you don't have to do shit, and you're getting fucking exactly. royalties from Star Wars for the rest of your life. And you'd be life. the producer <laughs> credited with finding the next Tarantino. Yeah. Like, there yeah. you go. Like Weinstein. <laughs> right. But Weinstein didn't do, like... Yeah, I mean, they were like, hey, let's make a movie, and... But Weinstein didn't take a, the chance on Tarantino, though, because he was already, like, a writer and stuff. Yeah, he, like, helped him with his like direct his first project with which is a big step but it's not like he like came out of the blue like he was working on stuff before yeah but i mean weinstein definitely gave him a blank slate to work on which was very rare especially in the hollywood system before that era because independent film at that point wasn't was basically nothing i mean weinstein really created independent film in the sense of like you know no strings attached yeah miramax at that time was the place for independent filmmakers to go to because he they were given the opportunity and you know to do to do stuff like tarantino tarantino took full advantage of of that you know oh yeah oh, <laughs> so yeah. he didn't step in until Gross. after reservoir Do- as reservoir dogs was kind of like right made, though. yeah he he lucked out with reservoir because um yeah so lucky because his his, his one of his producers somehow got a hold of Harvey Keitel's people mm-hmm. and Keitel was like, fuck, I'll produce it myself mm-hmm. too. And then Danny DeVito got involved. And so both those guys, yeah, it's crazy. Right. <laughs> but I mean, that's a little different than like having those guys involved. That's like, I mean, it, I don't think they need like $10,000 of like a grant, you know what I mean? To like start their short film. If like Harvey Weinstein is, is there like head of Amir Max is like, hey, well, let's work on your movie. You yeah. know what I but mean? That like, was that, after the fact, though. That's what I'm saying. It's like the film got made, and then Amir Max was like, oh shit, this is kind of crazy. And then they yeah. bought the rights to distribute, and then they financed oh, Pulp Fiction. Because Reservoir Dogs was so controversial. It was yeah, it was a hit, but it was also controversial, and other studios probably weren't going to touch it. And that's why a lot of Tarantino's stuff hadn't been made. But then when Reservoir Dogs actually was making money, Weinstein was smelling that shit, and it was like, ooh, I want to get this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, hey, there's money here. Yeah. Let's get. Let's go over here. I meanwhile, yeah. Tony Scott is directing True Romance, and Oliver Stone is, you know, you know, getting Natural Born Killers off the ground, and 
Weinstein's like, hey, you got anything else? And he's like, yeah, I just got back from Amsterdam and I wrote a film called Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, perfect. Make it. Here's some cash. <laughs> That's really kind of what happened. Yeah. yeah. The thing about Tarantino, and it can't be understated enough, is that he got so insanely lucky. Like, don't get me wrong, Tarantino is incredibly talented and knows his shit inside and out better yeah. than the vast majority of filmmakers and producers and whoever. But he was right place, right time. Yeah. I mean, it was oh, really yeah. like oh, for sure. he put in the he put in he created uh, the position to like when the opportunity struck. He obviously created everything up to that point. But there is a point where it's like the opportunity has to strike, and you get really lucky yeah, yeah. at that point. It's oh it's, yeah. There's li- there's there's no other way. Like the- everyone who's become majorly successful has gotten insanely lucky. Yeah. at one point. Yeah, that that's true. Yeah, that is true for everyone. And mm-hmm. I I think in the system. I mean, even if you're like getting in like nepotistically or something, you know, like Spike Jones or something. Uh, not that of- not that he's just like nepotism. You know, you know what I mean. Not that that's the only way he got in or anything, but. uh you still have to be like really good too. Yeah, totally. You know yeah. what I mean? You can't yeah. just like have the one, like in. It's mm-hmm. so true because like Sofia Coppola is, you know, obviously comes from a, a film background, and she still like hasn't done like anything that's like generated a whole bunch of fucking money for a studio or anything. But she's still known. You know, people know her. But her brother, Francis Ford Coppola's son, you know, equally, you know, the same as Sofia Roman, he's directed one film. And he's co-wrote, co-written with, you know, um, Wes, Wes Anderson, Anderson and and helped out on Francis Ford Coppola stuff. But he's never been able to really make his own film besides um, that uh, Charlie Sheen one. Um, I forget what it's called. Uh, the something. Are you talking about Roman Coppola? Yeah. So like, a it's glimpse funny, inside like, the mind of Charles. Yeah. Swan. Yeah. Hmm. So it's funny how like you're right. You still have to be good, even if you if you are in the the nepotism thing. You still have to, you know, I guess like Roman just didn't really quite cut it. Well, I mean, you look at Jason Schwartzman, who's a you know he's tangentially a part of that family, and I think Nick Cage yeah. too, right? Isn't Nick Cage? I thought he was. Yeah, he's like a cousin or yeah, something. Yeah, Schwartzman's is, like a cousin uh, too, yeah. uh, and you know Nick Cage has had his ups and downs. Yeah, because Nick is actually his his last name is really Coppola, his last name. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, it, shit. Nick was something Coppola, and then he changed it to Cage because he didn't want. To, he 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 worked. He did work from the ground up. Like he worked as you know, worth with Coppola as like a grunt mm-hmm. guy. Um, right. And he just didn't want to be not necessarily associated. He just he 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 wanted to earn his way, which is totally that's cool. Cool, you know, like he right. It, but he still did it. Yeah. 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 I mean. I feel like everyone knew. You know what I mean? <laughs> of course. Of course. These guys when Coppola really shows up on set from. just randomly on your, you know, on the set of Face Off or Gone in 60 Seconds or or, or before those movies, I think you still you still know. Yeah, because one of Nicolas Cage's, like, first, like, on-screen performances where he actually had kind of, like, a role was Coppola's uh, The Cotton Club with uh, Diane, uh, uh, Diane Lane and and stuff so yeah it's kind of it's kind of crazy he's had a he's crazy prolific dude he's done so much shit yeah um (laughs) all right nicholas kim coppola is what nick cage's Mm. full real name is him yeah wow jason francesco schwartzman is his 
full name. Uh, all right, this is the Back to Back Films podcast where we cover the things you never knew you wanted to know about movies. I'm Keith. This is Byron. Jacob. And this is part two of Lanthimos. Um, the first film we're going to talk about is The Lobster, released in 2015. Uh, in a dystopian near future, single people, according to the laws of the city, are taken to the hotel, where they are obliged to find a romantic partner in 45 days or are transformed into beasts and sent off into the woods. Um, the Lobster was written by Ephthemus Philippou and Yorgos Lanthimos, and directed by Lanthimos, of course. Uh, it stars Colin Farrell, Rachel Weisz, uh, Olivia Coleman, Angeliki Papulia, Ariana Labed, Jessica Barden, John C. Riley, Leah Sadu, Sado, Leah Sado, and Ben Wishaw. We haven't talked about it in a long time because perfume was a long time ago. Yeah. That guy's awesome. Yeah. Uh, second film is The Killing of a Sacred Deer, released in 2017. Uh, Steven, a charismatic surgeon, is forced to make an unthinkable sacrifice after his life starts to fall apart. When the behavior of a young, uh, sorry, when the behavior of a teenage boy he has taken under his wing turns sinister. Killing of a Sacred Deer is written by uh, Philippou and Lanthimos, directed by Lanthimos, stars Colin Farrell, Nicole Kidman, Barry Keegan, uh, uh, Rafi Cassidy, Sonny Soljic, and Bill Camp. Uh, all right, where do you guys want to start? It's a hard part. Where do you want to start? Uh, yeah, that's the trick. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk about the last time we saw John C. Riley in one of our movies. I, I believe it was never. <laughs> Back in the King Kong Skull Island. Oh, we watched that with Richard. <laughs> Damn, dude, that was like episode twenty. Yeah, Holy yeah. shit! Yeah, because he he that was, was that crazy episode. dude that they find that had been like shot yeah. down or whatever. Yeah, that's he's funny. the white guy on on Skull Island. That's that was his character name. <laughs> they call that a token white guy. <laughs> <laughs> a token white guy. But now he's just the lisping man, which is uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, his Similar. his casting in that uh, the lobster was really I don't know, not the best choice maybe, at least in my opinion. It's just too much baggage with that guy to really I think fill that role. I don't, I don't know, man. Like I I think he's in so many indie projects. He's in so many like weird art films that I it just like it felt like a like it was just like oh hey John C. Reilly he's. That guy who's in like these weird kind of movies. So when I first watched this movie, it felt like one of those kind of, you know, yeah, just like a call out. Does, you know what I mean? Yeah, because he does so many independent films, and it's like he go he back he goes back and forth. You know, he does you know he work, he'll work with Polanski, you know, with you know uh, Carnage or whatever, and then he'll go do, you know, fucking some Step weird Brothers. ass yeah, like Step Brothers, Brothers or something, yeah. Yeah. Talladega Nights yeah. or something, yeah, um, Will Ferrell. So I I I, I actually his baggage worked for me on this one but i can see why if you haven't maybe like aren't like the biggest fan or just haven't seen like all of his work because he does so much shit he almost does too much really you know what i mean yeah he has a really he casts a wide net yeah 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 because when you're such a supporting actor like that's you're not getting i mean he's getting paid a decent amount he makes a comfortable living yeah. don't get me wrong but he's not he's not a, a superstar man. right yeah he's not will yeah. smith yeah. or he's not will ferrell either right uh, so right. you know just like he, he's not one of the wills <laughs> exactly so um you know you gotta you gotta hustle your ass yeah. off right yeah to to keep it going so i could see him just con- you know I, I, I don't know it just threw me off it threw me off like there's yeah, those I times yeah 
you know, Byron has those times too, I think, where it pops up and I like, just threw you out. Yeah, no, for sure. Like... I can see it too. I mean, there are films of his that are like the independent films or stuff where I feel the same way, where it's like, really? Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like could have gotten someone better. You yeah. Know? Um, it's almost like they're they're trying to be independent so they cast him you know like right right <laughs> it's like it's like i love julianne Moore, right but a lot of the times it's like I, I swear people cast her just because they know that she'll do it because it's an independent film or whatever you know right which is kind of right. like i don't know i feel bad to you know right it's it's weird it's like kind of but like because like when um who, who plays Ron Swanson? What's that? What's that guy's name? Nick Offerman. Nick uh, Offerman. When he when he like shows up in like an indie movie, it it comes off as like wow, that's really cool. He's like supporting them. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like when if Julianne Moore does it, then it doesn't come off that same way. Like what you are you what doing I mean? in this movie? Like why are you not in a different one? Yeah, like or like if Keegan Michael Key like shows up in like a small little like indie movie, it, it like feels. It feels like they're, like, I don't, I don't want to say like doing charity, but kind of yeah, like it yeah. feels like He's, they're just like, hey, I, I like this filmmaker. You have a weird thing going mm-hmm. on. I'll, I'll be in your movie, sure. Yeah, you know, like that sounds cool, uh, and and I'll do it for, you know, very cheap or something. Yeah, I don't know, or 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 not. Maybe they're paying them a pretty good amount, but for the ones that I've seen, I doubt it. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's kind of like you know Keanu Reeves in um, uh, The Bad Batch. You know, oh, or Jim Carrey. No, oh, that's Keanu Reeves and, and Jim Carrey. Yeah, both of those guys. Because Keanu Reeves what the hell is in Jim it too. Carrey? Is he in Bad Batch? Yeah, Keanu Reeves is the DJ, and Jim Carrey was the hobo. Oh, oh right. Yeah. yeah, Jim Carrey was the hobo. Damn, that was rent. Oh yeah. So like both those guys, Holy right? Shit. They just like they're in this weird, super low budget fucking independent film because they they dug the project and dug the thing, so right. it feels like a little bit of like charity. Um even in the neon demon you know keanu reeves kind of having that little cameo kind of thing in there that small fucking role just because he fucking dug nicholas winning ref in and what he was doing with film and those are the types of films that keanu reeves personally likes you know what i mean so mm-hmm. right he's right. like in a way like helping helping a, a friend slash fellow creative out by you know being in there at the same time when it comes to like julianne moore i feel like it's not necessarily the cat the the case it's like she's legitimately interested in the project just like you know Keanu Reeves and everybody would be but unfortunately for her it's kind of sad but I feel like she's not getting the roles that she should be getting huh. you know what I mean like I think she's I kind know, of I don't know I think she's almost like stuck in that particular type of film now where it's either a supporting character slash like villain in some like divergent series type of movie right where it's like like, hunger games yeah or she's doing like these independent films where she should be getting films like you know that that you know keep Blanchett and stuff are getting you know what i mean like i don't know i mean she's yeah and she's in that thing too where hollywood has that whole like well after a certain age you kind of get aged yeah, out as a woman yeah. and you get right. stuck in certain roles unless you're meryl streep uh, well yeah she's the extreme <laughs> exception and to helen like mirren all of that. Yeah. i mean helen mirren and meryl streep basically have that market right there they're the only two that you really go 
to. Exactly. Which is sad yeah. because it's like there's a lot of talent. How many Oscars have they been nominated in their fucking old age? You know, like give Julianne Moore a chance. She still hasn't won an Oscar yet, but she's been nominated probably half a dozen fucking times. She, yeah, for for still Alice, she was nominated. That was in 2014. Yeah. So she, I guess she still she gets a role here and there. Yeah, but still Alice again too was it like an independent film that went through the circuit that was like that was probably the only Oscar that it was up for. You know what I mean? Like, right, it's right. it's kind of like she's not getting those fucking roles in films that she, are she's more prestigious than the movies that she's in yeah like nicole kidman yeah. is killing it lately you know she's in oh, yeah. a whole wide of different sorts of stuff big budget stuff she's in fucking aquaman but then she'll be doing you know like destroyer that's coming out you know what i mean right um, and she was in the big, and little, she's lies in big little lies so she and she's been thing. killing it yeah. man she's been nominated for a couple oscars the last like five years and um is in probably more demand now than she has ever been in her entire career and she's in her early 50s i believe so it's kind of like i don't know it's kind of a weird thing when it comes to like especially male or female especially female but like even in um john c riley's case it's it's funny how these these because they're from the same generation john c riley and um nicole kidman and julianne moore Mm -hmm. you know um oh I I always assumed he was younger. That's crazy. Yeah, he's because he'd be he he's probably a little older actually. Um, but uh-huh. like you know, John C. Riley and Julianne Moore, you know, they were together in Boogie Nights and he's fifty three. You know, yeah, so they're they're wow. they're roughly the same. They're all they're all like you know Sundance Sundance kids. You know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah. know, like in the eighties and nineties, they were you know with, with Philip Seymour Hoffman and yeah, and she's got five school. years on them. That's about it. Yeah, yeah, so. But see, that's the thing, though, is, like, that's, you know, being a man in Hollywood, too, his avenues for success are... Yeah, and he's not a good-looking guy, you know what I mean? He's, he's like, he's like... No, he's goofball, <laughs> yeah. dude. And so, he plays he's that super unique-looking, because it's, you know, I mean, there's, like, the two schools of camp with, with celebrity, and it's, like, if you're a goof goofy-looking, you know, if you have just a strange look, you know, yeah. like Michael Sarah or... Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or something, and then there's like attractive, like you know, Brad Pitt and stuff. Yeah. But you know, like Forrest Whitaker, very as charming as that man is, like he has that like weird eye thing going on, <laughs> and it's, and he's he's a pretty goofy looking guy, but he makes it work. Oh yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? I think Danny like, DeVito they is have a good these like little Danny these DeVito. signature like facial things, like some actors, and it's mm-hmm. it's super neat. Yeah. No, for sure. You're right with the with the the two camp thing. But can you imagine that if a woman had Forrest Whitaker's yeah. thing going on, yeah. like she... right? The the only recent example I can think of is like her, the little girl in Hereditary or something. You know, oh like she, yeah, because she, she had a look. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's it is kind of sad. Um, there are actresses I've seen in multiple films that are that have like weird looks. Um, there's like a couple women that I I, I don't I forget their names, but like. There's this one girl, she's in, like, Winter's Bone, she's in, like, Breaking Bad, she's in a whole bunch of stuff like that, and she's always playing, like, a meth addict. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's, yeah. like, her role, because she has that look. Um, right. What was the first film you I said? I forget her name, but she's in Winter's Bone. Um, and she's in a whole bunch... You, you, you'll wreck... Tate Taylor? Uh, oh, no, that's a dude. Cheryl Lee, that's who it no, is. No, not Cheryl Lee. She, Cheryl Lee is um, Twin Peaks chick. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Deanna Dale Dickey? Yep that's her she does look like uh yeah and she's in like look oh, at her filmography crazy she's she's in like quite a bit of shit 
but she's always cast as very similar roles you know she's like a character actor. yeah yeah she's totally yeah. a character actor if, if you're like if you're a woman and you don't like aren't necessarily like fall in un- under like the traditional like you know attractive look you become a character actor you know which is right which is sad you know because it shouldn't be the case <laughs> margo <laughs> martindale <laughs> character actor margo Mar- character actress margo martindale from bojack <laughs> oh margo martindale yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh who's the lady who's in um like the leftovers the uh because that lady has a unique look and she's a god i need to look this up um Let's see. Uh, holy shit, there's so many people in this. Justin Theroux stars in it. That's true. Oh, yeah. Really good show. Okay. Liv Tyler's uh, in it. Or Christopher Eccleston. That dude's fucking boss. Amy Brennan. I think it's Margaret. Nope. Oh, I know who you're talking about. She's in Compliance and she's in True Detective uh, season one. Um, oh, she really? Yeah. I, I, she, oh, and Dow. Yeah, that's her. Yeah, she's in Hereditary. She is? Oh, yeah, yeah she is in Hereditary. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I forgot, she I forgot about that. She, oh, she's, she's, the, awesome. she's the fucking old woman. Yeah. The the, the kind of, like, the initial witch. The, yeah. 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 And she, her character in Hereditary is basically the same as in The Leftovers. It's like they're very, very... I could I could see the math that the <laughs> casting did. You know, I'm just like, oh, this is... Yeah. I Yeah, I buy this. I knew, I like, the second I saw her on screen, I was like, she's going to do a good yeah. job in this movie. Um, but she's she's super good but she's also like um she and she has a unique look yeah, I think, and, and a unique way of talking yeah too yeah yeah i think she's been up for like at least a golden globe or an emmy yeah um yeah it's interesting and but what's funny when i see the lobster it's it, it was really cool seeing that cast because like you have a french star i mean she's a legitimate french star like leia sadu you know she or sadow whatever she's a bond girl you know, but she was famous overseas before that, and you know she won. She was the first actress um, with her co-star to ever win the Palme d'Or. You know, um, at the Cannes Film Festival for uh, Blue is the Warmest Color. So she's she's a, a big name, yet she has a smaller role in this film. And then you have All like right. Rachel Weisz. You oh, know, you're talking about Leah Sadu, yeah? Yeah. Then she's also had a very tiny role in Inglorious Bastards. Too. Yeah, yeah, and like. You have Rachel Weisz, and you have people that are, like, known, um, but, like, Colin Farrell that are in, like, this weird, like, film. But then you have, like, Olivia Coleman, who's now more famous because and, of, yeah, you know. Oscar winner. Oscar winner yeah. now. Um, um, but she's was really, you know, she was well-known in the U.K. for, you know, television shows and stuff that she did over there. Um, right. So you have this, like, amalgamation of, like, different actors, you know, um, from all over the world and also a-list b-list c-list you know what i mean and they're all in this film which is which also i think adds to the mood and feel of it because it doesn't yeah like what other it's like all these people came from all over to be in this hotel sort of a thing yeah yeah it's it's just kind of it was just kind of cool um how like casting I think is a huge part of like Yorgos Lanthimos's films, at least especially from The Lobster through The Favorite. If you think about it, super oh, yeah. interesting casting. You know, you got Emma Stone, I, Oscar winner. Everybody knows her name in America almost, and then they have like Olivia Coleman, who like 
not so much. Rachel Vice, who's pretty familiar, but then like upcoming, you know, dudes and wigs and shit. You know, it's just interesting. Nicholas Holt, who's right. known, yeah, but that... yet disguised, you know, in makeup. <laughs> right, right. It is. I mean, it's. It seems like, uh, you know, as soon as he like got enough of like like a budget or or as soon as he went american then it's like okay here's the casting yeah you know what i mean as soon as he started making like or not american english. As, soon as, as he started yeah, yeah english uh films then it's like okay yeah well he that's exactly what he knew he was gonna do though yeah um he said that he was like there's the only way to grow was to go into the english films and he knew like that you know getting those types of people into yeah. your film is what's gonna like make yeah. it happen I mean, it's impressive yeah. to get Colin Farrell and that cast. I mean, that especially that internationally like recognized um, for your first English debut. Granted, Dogtooth was such a hit, you know, right. that right. I'm sure people fucking remembered that film. People knew him. Remembered, remembered the name and was like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll, I'll work with you because you have a vision. I feel like a lot of people like Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman and stuff like they get tired of doing the same type of film. So they're always looking for someone like Lars von Trier, why Nicole Kidman went to and worked with right. him for Dogville and stuff. They, they, they really do look for directors that have a very particular unique vision so that they have a completely new experience so that they can further their craft. And I feel like your Gosanthimos is like the perfect director for that because what other director are you going to be performing lines like, like, what are Flat. delivered in killing of the bigger yeah. deer or or the lobster you know <laughs> like <laughs> yeah no i think you're totally spot on like i think i think with lanthimos's voice um it for me it really becomes apparent with these two films mm -hmm. uh what his voice is and it is that kind of i, I feel like his voice really is fun for actors to to play cuz it's everyone is just kind of melancholic and <laughs> <laughs> and flat and dry and like like it's like soap opera y but like not yeah. at the same time you know yeah, what i mean yeah, yeah. i don't really know how you're to allowed to say it. very direct things to people yeah in like a way very direct yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and without like any emotional regard or reaction it's like that scene where you know in in, in killing where it for some reason it's the scene that makes me cringe the most and i don't know why but it's when um Colin Farrell asks Nicole Kidman, like, you know, I've been craving potatoes uh, or mashed potatoes or something. And he's like, um, I'd like it if you made mashed potatoes for me tomorrow or something, you know? And you're just right. like, to me, it's just like a, such a weird way of asking for something that you want. And she's like, you know, I, no one's ever told you this before, but you're, you have beautiful hands and, and playing kind of passive aggressive. And then she's like, you're just a pathetic man you know your 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 children are dying in the other room and you're asking me i that you'd like potatoes you know i don't know i love right. that scene but that part when he asks like can you make potatoes it's like worded in a way that's just like nobody really asks like that that it makes you cringe because it's just like it, it's just like i don't know it's just like i felt uncomfortable for nicole kidman's character yeah know? yeah yeah i see i totally i totally get I what you're saying there's a lot of like well that and then you know just like, like matter of factness <laughs> you know or just yeah. like i i like this can i have this and it's just like dude this isn't the time for that yeah. like like well, how come you're like think about something else you know what i mean i lost two mp3 players i don't know what's wrong with me can i have your mp3 player yeah. after you're dead no that's exactly <laughs> it yeah which is like 
it's almost like a little child because little kids kind of talk like that where they don't have a filter it's like they they society hasn't really put everything like norms you know or whatever or rules that you have to live by to them yet so they just say what's on their mind and it's interesting that Lanthimo seems to have like tapped into that so his characters in a way yeah they're speaking deadpan and they're more melancholy but what they're actually saying is more truthful than really like maybe a lot of what other films do you know what i mean because they they they're just saying what they're thinking yeah like at all like there's no subtext right at all yeah so it's it's interesting because you're also like we talked about this before briefly on the other episode of lanthimos but like surrealism and like how these people are talking so groundedly really and like without any sort of uh like inflection yeah and, and like there's no it's not opaque right like it's completely transparent almost right that but yet it's kind of it's a it's a surrealist film so it's kind right. of weird and it's funny because like in the type of like movie that it like the 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 type of story like the themes of the story the the plotting or maybe just the plotting like okay we have people turning into animals if they can't find love in 45 days and then you have all these people who are um who are talking like that without subtext as if like there's nothing wrong going on around them like all the time (laughs) so it's just it's like this every one of his movies is kind of like that like it's just like oh there's nothing wrong with this so but it just kind of makes you really uncomfortable in your seat because you're like they're like there this there is a lot wrong happening in front of me and no one seems to really (laughs) care except for me in the audience you know what i mean like no one's willing to admit that this is a little weird you know what i mean except for me so that's like that seems that's like every one of his movies yeah you know i like it yeah it sets up like an interesting mirror too like you're only left with your interpretation Mm -hmm. and your perceptions of how a scene should play out uh, you know, there's no actors telling you like, "Oh, this is what, how you should feel." It's yeah. like you're gonna put your, you're gonna impose your own feeling even more so, like on that, and and find oh, your yeah. own kind of like meaning, you it, know, within I, that. Oh, totally. I can't imagine. I mean, as an actor, how fun, but also how challenging it would be to read a script like this and be able to perform it, because, like you said, you have to really be comfortable with the fact that whatever you're doing without emotion will just be understood by the by the viewer because i think a lot of actors or maybe most actors they want to be they want to give the audience their best performance their so that they can get an emotional reaction but this is the complete opposite of that where they are they are working at trying to be something that some one is having to impose all themselves to it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I I guess, uh, from what I understand too, Lanthimos is a pretty hands-off director. Right. Uh, He, you know, he comes with a mindset of, well, you cast actors to act, so let them act. Yeah. Uh, So I imagine a lot of his direction is just like, you know, like, you know, take two. Yeah. Just bring it down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Act less. Yeah. Yeah, You're at a hundred percent. I want you at 5%. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, but you know, obviously he's creating direction cause there's, he still has a plot and there's still yeah. a story there, but like, 
yeah, apparently he just kind of lets him yeah. do it. Because um, it's, so, it's so uniquely his films, mm-hmm. you know, like... And, but, oh, yeah. But it's so cool, because, like, when he... Because all that stuff is preliminary. Right. Like, it's all, like, hey, I, like, the goal here is, like, you guys to be completely detached from the emotion of what you're... Like, the emotional weight is just gone. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a pretty easy, like, direction to just give an actor for... I mean, it's, like, it could be challenging to get there, but it's... I think that's, like, a pretty easy like idea for like to to and it's like really it's the opposite of acting i think <laughs> there's know? still it, emotional it, weight though like because yeah. like you're still telling you know feral and weiss to be like you guys are falling in love with each other you just have to show it in a way that doesn't yeah is not traditional well and it is right. it says a lot of too about lanthimos as like a character slash leader because you have you know as a director you have to be the leader of the set but being hands-off is a whole other thing but he has to be a super strong leader if if he's so hands-off and he's still being able to generate these type of performances and have the crew want to come back and work with them mm-hmm. you know like that says a lot I, mean, I think he's he's got to be a super good leader you know what i mean like yeah. to be able to oh, yeah. to be able to do that and to be so comfortable with himself to just let because you know you've you we've all heard those stories we've all heard the stories of the director that has his particular vision but he's a fucking tyrant and the film ends up being good but they'll never end up working with humphrey bogart or whoever it was again because they right. fucking hated each other michael camino you know? or whatever yeah so like it's interesting when you have someone like such a such a good leader where they can be so good that they're just so hands off but yet still get the fucking performance that they wanted. You totally. know? Like it's like That's holy funny shit. that you bring that up in that way though too because I think sort of the obvious comparable influence here especially with Killing of a Sacred Deer um is The Shining and is Kubrick. Mm-hmm. And Lanthimos is sort of the flip side of the coin. If Kubrick is the, the you know, <laughs> anal retentive, like, yeah. perfectionist, yeah. then Lanthimos is kind of the more, like, I get shit done, but in more hands-off approach. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Kubrick was, like, every minute detail right. was, was thought of and processed. And not to say that Lanthimos doesn't do that, but, you know, having tell, Kubrick telling his actors to do this one specific motion as opposed to that yeah. on the next take, you yeah. know, like that doesn't, the nuance of that doesn't matter as much. Right. Uh, I think for someone like Lanthimos, but he clearly takes a ton of influence from Kubrick. I mean, yeah. Killing of a Sacred Deer is straight up cinematography from The Shining. Yeah. I mean, just straight up. Oh yeah. Um, like even the scene, like there's one particular shot that really gets me um, in Sacred Deer that just it stands out for some reason. And I think it's because it's like, a little less cinematic than the other shots, but it still works. And it's when they're uh, at that dinner thing or whatever, and he's giving kind of a speech. Yeah. And then right after they do that, they they kind of get together to talk. And there's this yeah. weird dolly that goes yeah. from, tracks them as they go come in, and they talk to Bill Camp a little bit, whatever his name is, Michael or something. Yeah. And then you know it cuts into like the shot reverse, and then it does the dolly back out. But that dolly is so. <laughs> weird it just it, and it reminds me of the shining so much i feel like there's a shot in the side like it reminds me of kind of that shot in the lobby of the shining oh, okay uh when jack comes back and they, they start to get ready it kind of reminds me of that it's just so offbeat uh but it's so like <laughs> it just works yeah in a weird way yeah. i don't know it, it really shows off the like the production design and like the all the extras totally yeah. you know it's just like 
it's almost like this hey we got a lot of extras for this scene you know what i mean here's the shot that shows off all the extras that we have you know what totally. I mean? and it's weird because they shot that in like basically the corner of the room yeah like right. literally had yeah. them walk in about 20 feet and then walk out yeah. they didn't go very far right and it's super wide it's like an 18 or something oh, yeah. like that oh like, yeah exactly the shot for some reason that I think about is the shot of Nicole Kidman standing in the spinal center, uh, the spine hospital or whatever, and she's like in this kind of lobby waiting room, and she's standing, but the camera is probably on some sort of dolly crane, and it's a static shot, and it's like slow motion, and we and then Colin Farrell like comes from underneath it. Oh yeah, yeah. And then it moves in towards them. Yeah. And it's so interesting because it's so stylistic, being slow motion. Mm -hmm. But it's this weird thing where they're a little like not center frame. They're a little off, if I remember right. And it's like high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, and then it moves. It's 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 a unique point of view. The high framing is one of my favorite yeah, parts of this movie. Yeah, it's it's really cool i don't know the slow zooms is they use far. it a lot in in this movie they do yeah. they're yeah. They use, they're moving around like like right next to the yeah. ceiling mm -hmm. yeah. it's center point high framing because they can yeah. always keep the people like kind of center and he they do it a lot with the wheelchair scenes when yeah. he's kind of pushing them around yeah. or anytime he goes to the <laughs> hospital um he really likes to keep it because the whole point i mean the whole point of setting it in a hospital um was that he needed a sort of sterile, control, clean mm. space to contrast what's happening outside of the hospital. Yeah. So all of his shots oh, yeah. in the hospital are very... They're, yeah, uh, clinical. Like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They're very clinical. Um, and even when he steps outside, just a little bit, when he steps outside, the shots tend to kind of become a little less clinical. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's why he keeps that center point solid framing because it, it just glues you in. Cause, and then it's... A hospital. There's really long tunnels. It's pretty cinematic yeah, in that way. Um, and center point just really draws it. It works really well yeah. for, for hallways and the stuff. The hospital, because of the hallways and stuff, just that's, to me, those scenes are what's reminiscent to The Shining for me, you know? Mm -hmm. if, if they didn't have the hospital in the film, the other shots wouldn't... It wouldn't be as much of an influence. I would probably see more Barry Lyndon because of all the zooms, you know? Um than the shining but with those two together it's like oh yeah Cooper he does a couple of shots with the nicole kidman slow zooms which remind me a lot of the specific slow zoom in the shining mm. when jack nicholson is shining and he's like looking yeah. out the window yeah. and he looks fucking you know psychotic yeah like that's he's he basically took those then amplified you yeah. know like how many slow zooms can we really put into this oh, there's so <laughs> many good slow zooms in the film the slow zooms are the best cinema cinema cinematic or cinematographic like element that they use in the movie, I think. And and those things are just widely underused in like all, like all of cinema totally. as a whole. I mean, they're like the there's a lot of zoom outs and stuff in in movies, but in uh, especially in like pop movies, like there's not a lot of zoom ins. There's like snap zooms, mm -hmm. you know, but not like not just like the zoom in like <laughs> button on the exactly. camcorder, you know, like people just don't do that, and it's cool to like see it. I think people are mm. afraid of zooms mm. because they can like look tells so you cheesy. That, oh, it is cheesy, and it like reminds you that there's a camera. Exactly. Sometimes, if it's done wrong, exactly. Yeah. People are afraid of that. Crazy about this film too, because I was looking at it again this time, and like there are movements where I'm just like, that is so gutsy as a cinematographer slash director to come up with this stuff, because like there'll be like it's like a static shot, 
people are moving and then it will and then it will like dolly in or sideways and then the dolly stops but then the camera moves or zooms and you're like so there's three different mm-hmm. things going on in one shot without any cuts they got a, a static a dolly and a camera zoom all separately mm-hmm. it's like i know it's so interesting <laughs> the the you know what i mean like it's like the tree shot <laughs> the tree shot is is very i mean the movement and the zoom is not that elaborate but the shot itself is kind of elaborate because it's like i mean you're you're pulling back out to reveal this kind of crazy tree yeah you know and she's singing her whatever song <laughs> and that's all it is i mean it's literally just a dolly track with a zoom out but it's like the way it plays out yeah is much more sophisticated yeah when you actually see it happen and that's i mean there's, there's literally not like there's no like problem at the end of that zoo at that yeah. shot it's literally them just chilling <laughs> I, i'm just so impressed with like zooms and stuff because you have to be so precise and to like the crew you know focus pullers and all those guys i mean they have to be on their a game and especially like you said you don't see zooms and shit that often anymore so like where do you find the guy that's going to be the best focus puller slash zoom oh, yeah. dude you know what i mean like yeah. <laughs> it's like totally. it's kind of like a lost art sort of thing you know in a way at least i feel like that i don't know it, it, it's it's funny because it is but it also like it doesn't have to be because it's like so readily available like if you just right. have like a zoom lens then you, you can like if you're zooming out you could zoom in yeah. too. you know what i mean right. so it's like it's a lost art but it's also like that like it, very accessible still you know yeah, it's I mean, like it's one of those accessible, rare things but like you know, you, you go in Vimeo and you can see it done so many times, but you can see it done more often than not terribly. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, sure. and then you see this, and it's everything is so perfect. There isn't any. There weren't any zoom shots that were like, like, that was a bad zoom shot. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, they're all just like, holy right. shit! They're so, so good. You know, no aberrations of like anything. You know what I mean? Like, it's just perfect. It's like, right. uh, how do yeah, you they do kinda- that? It kind of works with the, like the the movie, you know. Yeah. But like the the zoom shots in like Cutie Honey, um, you know, are like they work with that. You know what I mean? Because they're like so like fluid and like poppy and trashy. You know what I mean? Cutie Honey, that sounds so familiar. That that was, the, uh, that was like oh, the Power Rangers, yeah, okay, yeah, esque yeah. movie, yeah. Um, the movie that no one got to hear about. <laughs> oh, that's right. We don't have that episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but that's... See, but yeah, you guys, like in Power Rangers, how they have Zoom. Yeah, right. that's yeah. the like, cheese. Like, that's the that's old the style, like, Western Zoom mm. that started in, you know, with, like, Sergio, Sergio yeah. Leone and shit. Like, right. And that's what people, I think, feel like they need to do. Um, and I, don't, I think people don't realize the impact that a slow Zoom can have. I mm. think... A lot of filmmakers, they prefer to just edit into a close or, you know, steady cam kind of push close mm-hmm. type of thing. Right. Because usually they're working with primes too, like prime lenses, um, which have you know obviously one full uh, focal length. So like, yeah. you're you you have to push in to get the movement. But I think there there definitely is an underutilization of the technique, and I think people don't just don't feel like it has it's as impactful yeah as i think it can be but uh they're wrong <laughs> just straight up they're wrong <laughs> because well it's another tool it's just like uh it's like old english kind of, you know it's just like it can still be used and still be effective but 
a lot of it's not just used a lot anymore there was a whole article i read oh god it must have been like probably close to a year ago where it was like the difference between a zolly a dolly shot and like a zoom and just how perception of it as an audience you know just like oh yeah but how other and it was like a, a couple different people were being asked and like how they all viewed these scenes differently but yet I don't know, like, there was no right or wrong answer on what was more effective, you know? Um, they're right. just different, you know? Dude, it's, I... It's interesting I, to me, though. I remember in, in college I made this, uh, what I what I called my pretentious art film <laughs> in college, which was, it was a black and white movie, and it was, like, about a guy who, like, goes to the fourth dimension. Not, not the fourth time dimension, but the fourth spatial dimension, so he, like, goes into, yeah. And, um... In that movie, I wanted to do some some zooms, some like zoom ins, like at a certain point, because I wanted it to be like flat. I wanted it to feel like it almost like it was a photo, like in certain moments, because I wanted like I wanted to like have that like 2D look like for for some of the shots. And I remember uh, someone on set was like, how come we're not doing a dolly? Because we had like a dolly with us for other shots and. And I was just like, well, I want it to be flat. And, th- and then they're like, oh, okay. And then in edit, I showed it to them. And they were like, I really wish, uh, we totally should have done a dolly there. I was like, no. <laughs> People don't get. <laughs> we should have done dolly. Like, just because, like, and, and it's, it, like, I get what they're saying. Like, it, maybe it's, like, more visually impactful, you know, in, like, a Michael Bay kind of way. But it, it just, like, for what the story was, it made way more sense to do a Zoom, you know? And it well, people think they do know. the same thing. People think that a zoom and a, and a dolly shot know, do the same they thing. Don't. They don't. And there's, well, they look so different. They do. Yeah. And there's a reason yeah. why, you know, a 135 millimeter lens looks different than a 24. Like, wait, what? Explain this to me. Like, there's what? Are, what are those numbers? I know, right? Like, there's there's things that the image ha- like when you shoot portraiture of someone, like in photography. You usually don't do it with a 24. You usually do it with like 50 plus because of what happens to the image and because, you know, like you don't necessarily want the background to look like it's 100 miles away. You want the background to look like it's like right there. Um, right. And, you know. And you don't want like people's noses sticking out in a weird kind exactly. of way. Because if you're hitting the, tw- like doing 24 or 20, like that's how the Coen brothers shoot their like comedies. So they like, everyone has like a weird like look on there. Exactly. You know, it like brings out your, you know, crooked nose or something a little bit more. <laughs> exactly. But that flat one just totally like makes it all look real nice. So when you zoom, as opposed to putting the camera closer, you're you're letting the the focal point of the image become the dominant point, as opposed to like when you push in, you're never it's never it's equally dominant the whole time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas, like the background, because the background compresses with the zoom, it it's you know it starts to the background becomes less and less, and the right. foreground becomes more and more. So like, right, just dollying into something, yeah, is an option. But I mean, zooms exist for like a reason. Mm-hmm. Like, it sometimes just makes sense to do that. Um, so like, I get where you're coming from. Like, yeah, you, you, I don't know. Some people get really stuck in their ways of like, especially like when they're younger and trying everything. They're like. Well, I had access to this tool. Why didn't we just use that tool? Because it's like, well, just because you have access to something, 
doesn't mean it's going to be good. Just because you have a really cool shot doesn't mean the shot is going to make it into the film. Yeah. Like, you, right. you kind of just got to go with it and be, you know, smart and and ready to just try something else. Yeah. Right. Like, it, it, like if you're Michael Bay and you brought your tripod by accident, you're still not going to use it. <laughs> exactly. You know? You're going to put every shot on a, on a dolly movie shot and just keep spinning around everything. Exactly. You know, until the movie's over. Like, you're not going to use your tripod. Exactly. So, you know, some people just kind of need to get over it. And that's the thing. That's, and I say that kind of facetiously because, like, in film, very, very few people can see the whole picture. Even the people who are supposedly supposed to know the whole picture probably can't see the whole picture. Yeah. Um, no way, dude. And- <laughs> no one ever. I think no, no one, one ever, ever knows until it, until you see it. Then you're like, oh, yeah, that's what I meant. Exactly. Like even Hitchcock <laughs> hired people to do storyboards. To, after they made the film, he had people hired that that drew storyboards that matched exactly what the film would be so that years later he they could say that he he had his vision so perfect over it, dude. no like seriously dude. that like they, <laughs> that's some richard nixon shit, yeah dude. that's crazy yeah it, like cave <laughs> was was telling me about that that he was at he was down doing some sort of research on some film at, i think it might have been at afi and he met up with this guy. I forget his name now. Some pretty historian, h- his, historic. Like I mean, he's he's like a known history historian, film historian guy um, who was who was down there in this like basement, and he was looking through these li- like real Hitchcock storyboards, right? And right. you know, of course, Kaveh is like you know interested in what it is, you know, mm-hmm. and and I guess they've known each knew each other a little bit or something but he was showing him and told him that and yeah it's crazy i was like holy shit i could totally and, see and he found he found the like the original storyboards or something like yeah they like their original like ones the, and then some of them were the ones that were hired later oh, you know wow. it's crazy Dude. but coming from a guy that got his belly button surgically removed i can believe it <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> yeah coming that guy was just like <laughs> nuts man but still that guy was a nuts. fucking genius when it comes to his art for sure that's true for sure but my point being that um even the cinematographer doesn't know the full scope of where mm. everything's gonna go so i can see how someone yeah. would be like well we should have tried we should have done this and should have done that but it's like yeah. you know wait yeah and see and then when the film's over we can talk about whether or not we should have done that or this but like right because i think like dude and that was the thing about the my film was that after the movie was like made they were they came up to me and they were like i've really we should have really gotten the dolly there <laughs> i'm just like no no you can have your opinion like that's totally fine but you're wrong that's when you go okay <laughs> you, you, you make your like film not it's not as good like you go ahead and make your film and use the dolly yeah and, and you yeah. just leave use it the dolly for yeah. for every shot yeah but this i mean this is a pretentious art film you got to have the zoom shot you know what i mean <laughs> I'm surprised you use any zooms at all. Most pretentious art films are like prime only tripod one one angle. Right. Well, I was <laughs> I was going though. for like, hey, how do I make like, zooms <laughs> pretentious? You you know what I mean? Like, uh, well, because I I think there is like a you could see zooms as being pretentious because they're not used in like they're kind of like a hipster like camera movie. They kind of like, are. They kind of. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're. Because, like, people don't use I mean, them. So, I, like, I, I think... I think they Like, when you're making a movie and it's 2012 and you're a college kid 
yeah, you're probably going to throw a Zoom in there. You know what I mean? Like if you're... This is the thing, though. Just to be pretentious about I it. I feel like a lot of people use Zooms because they think it's the same as a Dolly, even though it's not. Does that make sense? Like, oh, this is the cheap yeah, way of they putting... They think they're interchangeable. Yeah, like, this is the cheap way of doing a Dolly. Like, you see that. Like, you know, 12 ways to, to make a Dolly for cheap. And then, like, the last one or whatever will be like... Or use a Zoom, even if it's in post-production. It's like, it's not the same thing. So then people, you see it <laughs> in there because they don't really they don't realize recognize the difference i mean obviously it looks a little different but like dude that's actually genius but, i should have just done that instead because we did dollies with we tried a zolly whatever but it didn't work but uh we had we had like rails and dollies and then we did a zoom zooms at the end but we totally should have just done zooms throughout the whole thing that that would have been the most pretentious well it's thing. funny because like <laughs> like <laughs> what's the what's kind of hipster though really is if you think about it is the two combined where you have the zoom and the dolly because that's like oh, the, yeah. like the vertigo effect you know where you have the 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 zolly yeah yeah the zolly the, which we talked about the actually. Jo- the, the um, hitchcock zoom well, we, we we talked about that uh what was it like our third or fourth episode with vertigo yeah, and something like that yeah what was the other film we did we talked about zollies it was the quick and the dead that's what it was the quick and the dead. oh my yeah. god that movie insane wait what was the Sam Raimi Western movie? Yeah, Quick and the, the Dead. Dead. Yeah. Oh, that was a quick. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude, that movie insane. Like I was <laughs> creaming myself. That was awesome. No, really, the most pretentious thing you can do is you'd shoot on like, you know, a twenty-four, put the camera on like the literally like the fourth wall, and then just you know, let actors walk in and out of the frame. Yeah, on a sound <laughs> while they're talking on the phone. <laughs> Right, and then a shot of a lawn chair uh, that fell over, and then exactly. maybe like one of those old school retro telephones with like a banana on it instead of a <laughs> exactly. telephone, exactly. You know, with like the wire plugged into the bottom of well, the banana, and, and it's all in French. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and half the time maybe the characters just out of frame. making up French, French, and you just do subtitles, you know? Yeah. Oh man, yeah, I love uh, that. That's fucking. But Finn. But end it with yeah, Finn. You gotta yeah, you got to end it with Finn. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, has to be black and white, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> it's funny because this is just like literally what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> this is all of uh, this is all Keith's films yeah, we're talking about. I really want to make a black and white film one of these days. So I'm gonna do it right though, you know, not not just now, like digitally color it, it later. Right. Yeah, you got to do it. Do, make sure to do dollies. Yeah. Don't do zooms because zooms are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use only monopod zooms or monopod dollies. Yeah. I'm just going to tilt the monopod <laughs> forward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, Love that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, Peter no, but it's funny that we say that because, like, you know, Arrested Development, they make fun of. They do this montage of, like, you can make it, like, all these different director's ways. And they show, like, a ter- how Terrence Malick would do it. And it's like a shot of, like, a bug, like a beautiful shot of a bug on a blade of grass or, like. Or she was like, they're like, she was in the Terrence Malick, and then she was in like this film, and then she was in a Woody Allen, and literally it's like <laughs> a static camera, yeah, and, and it's like she's walking in and like out of Annie frame Hall. talking, yeah, yeah. literally, yeah, <laughs> dude. Uh, so we're just, I love Annie, I love Annie Hall though. I think that, I think that style of shooting is really interesting. I like you know? it. It is, like it is this, interesting. So. Yeah, it's different. Super different. It's definitely hard to harder to pull off and take some thought for yeah. sure. Uh, but I mean, I do, you know, fucking. I am a movie hipster in that way where I do like those types of things though. Where it's like sometimes you just got to let the camera roll, and sometimes yeah. you just got to move people in and out, and yeah. you don't have to chase your actor. 
every time, you know? Hell, that's what right. the la- the film that I shot this weekend was. I, It's my most static film by far. And it was really mm. uncomfortable for me. And then I used some... And movies. it literally starts with a sp- spiraling shot. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. But, but, uh, but, but besides a few shots like that, everything is pretty static compared to me where I, I normally... You're frenetic. I, I'm, I'm more, you know, moving. I just wanted to do something completely different and shoot super fucking wide and just Dude. experiment, experimenting on like just my style. It turned out turned out good and hopefully with the next one i can combine those two you know and see what comes out of it as i get like kind of older and my sensibilities kind of become more honed and what i want to do i definitely am getting slower in that sense yeah like just frame it up you mean in your mid-20s yeah exactly exactly (laughs) i know i sound like i'm fucking super like old or something but like compared to like you know when we were in school it was like how can we throw as much movement into this handheld all that shit Fucking oh, yeah. dolly, whatever you can get your hands on. It's like now I just it's nice to just kind of set yeah. it up on the sticks, frame up your shot, light the scene, and let it play. Because like the actors, just let it go. And it's really hard to do because you have to have actors who are good at yeah. you know able to pull this off. Because part of editing is that you're hiding mistakes. Yeah, uh, it's easy. And if you let a scene play out, there can be no mistakes. Yeah. So, um, right. but it's nice to yeah. see it play out like, like that. M- movement is still my favorite thing. It's still my favorite thing that I want to like continue to push. But I do, I wanna, I wanna make like a film more like Haneke, right? Or even Killing of a Sacred Deer, where you have these scenes that play out for a minute and fifteen seconds or whatever, you know. And and there's very subtle camera movement, but yet it's also very intricate. Where it's like you're in one house, you start in a room, a slow dolly forward that lasts a minute, and then without cutting, another dolly that goes left down a hallway and then another minute where it's slowly down into another room by the end of the scene without even realizing it you're in a completely different room and it's all been a dolly shot i like those you know where it's so slow and so subtle but yet the filmmakers have to be so fucking precise it's not flashy but it's also allowing the scene to just play out, but you also have movement. And I, right. That's what like I, like a Paul Thomas Anderson, like not in his early days of right. like Boogie Nights, but more like with, exactly. Starting with like Punch Drunk Love. And mm-hmm. then I think There Will Be Blood had one where they're dollying like into a room yeah. and you actually don't see the third character until like three minutes into the shot or something. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, there's the third person finally. Yeah. yeah. You know, Paul Thomas Anderson, Haneke, Robert Altman, um, all those guys, and they all do it differently. They all, they all have their own spin on that particular thing, and I, I, I find that super interesting. That's what I want to do. Some, you know, no, when you yeah. say Haneke, yeah, the first because what I like is when it's it sits static for a while, mm. and then it just moves. Yeah, like you yeah, know, there's I like funny games yeah. when it's when she's, oh, she's, you know, just had the yeah, and she gets yeah, and it's just static on her, and she finally gets all her shit, and then he, she goes over to her husband, and then the camera just follows. Yeah, and it's so gutsy, and that's I that's almost out of any camera movement. And there's a lot of them here in the killing, especially in the killing. Um, is it's so to me? It's one of the ballsiest things you can do in film is have a static shot and in the middle of the shot, move it. I, I it, right. it's so gutsy because as soon as you move the camera, you are you are telling the audience this is a film. Mm-hmm. But if you can do it and pull it off where they don't see it. 
then you're doing something right because then it goes then the camera movement is tied in directly to the theme and the thematic part of the film and mm. and and to and Haneke has mastered that and to have mastered that so well that's what that's my goal mm -hmm. and so it's you're right it's like as i as i'm maturing as a filmmaker i definitely am interested in like letting a scene play out and then try and see how we can amp that up mm -hmm. you know i don't know it's interesting you have me psyched to watch some Haneke because all I've seen is the two funny games. Oh, so okay. I, uh, well, dude, like you, uh, like now I'm like, well, dude, that sounds. We gotta get into Haneke. <laughs> you're totally selling me. Oh my god! I mean, pick your choice, dude. Like, and they're all so different, though. Like, Code Unknown is insane. Has some of the craziest scenes. Piano Teacher is like possibly my favorite, but then you go like Cache or Honestly, um, Time of the War. Oh, I've seen so, Cache or Amore. Um, Amore, dude. Oh, Cache is really good. I didn't realize that was Haneke. Yeah. Yeah, it's huh. oh, dude. I want to see fucking uh, Cache. No, that's um, it's not Haneke. Yeah, Cache is. Yeah, it's not. Oh, is it a short? Cache is no. It's a Juliette Binoche and Daniel Latour and. Uh, oh, it's not. Oh, there it is. I'm that's dumb. the one where I'm the dumb. guy like does this and the blood goes. Yeah. On the white wall. Yeah. In that line, and that's the poster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's called in America. It's called Hidden, but. Yeah, right, we definitely right. got to get into some Haneke. Yeah. His shit's gonna be dark and dense though it's so good. um time but i want to see time of the wolf so yeah. bad dude. time of the wolf is good it's his least it's his like least it's it's his farthest one from being haneke-esque um it's it's yeah i don't know i think one of i think my personal favorite might be the piano teacher um but then like code unknown i feel is super underrated it's so underrated but all of his movies man benny's video and um the seventh continent and fuck man obviously the white ribbon oh, well, fuck man tell me about obviously that the white ribbon is is great but amore is awesome i mean they're also happy good. end I've, happy I, end i've was heard good. like nothing about <laughs> happy end was good it was a little bit of a disappointment um because i wanted more from him but it was still it was still you know a good really good film yeah god so Sick. to get us back onto this onto track i can, i i have another Whoa. thing i want to i want to talk about and that is that i found the word that i would use to describe yogos lanthimos's stuff okay and like because <laughs> we've talked about this we've talked about how it is kind of surreal but it's not quite surreal absurdist. then keith you threw out um what was the word you threw absurdist. out absurdist absurdist yeah and then it's like no that's not quite it and I found the word that I would use to describe it. And that is, and I could thank Rotten Tomatoes for this, honestly, but uh, it is idiosyncratic. Oh, okay. That's what that's what I would call it. I think that, that for me, really nails, like, what all of these movies are, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, in their, in their essence. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, all the characters have their, like, idiosyncrasies and, you know, like... It's, oh, yeah. It's... But even, like... It's not just the characters, no, it's like it's, the it, camera it's moves. It's infused you know? within the, the grain of the film. Like, it's literally, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, agree, it's like that, idiosyncratic yeah. is like that over-the-shoulder shot where they're focusing on the shoulder mm -hmm. instead of the the head, you know, and it's it's that weird, like, way-up-ceiling dolly move that they do in Killing of the, of the Sacred Deer, you know what I mean? The 8 like millimeter me, fisheye lens yeah. and fucking the favorite. Yeah. Well, and then, like, just the score, yeah. especially for The Killing of a Sacred Deer, the score is so unique so and good. so idiosyncratic oh because, God. like, it, certain so sounds good. will appear for these certain character movements, 
you know yeah like yeah and then it just all of a sudden it'll just like boom it'll be super loud and then it'll be quiet and it is super idiosyncratic it, that's the, the perfect word really for the film it's perfect yeah word. That's my favorite yeah. soundtrack of his out of all of them. Yeah, it's so The Killing Like a Deer. Gutsy as fuck, too. I mean, fuck. And to pair that with those smooth fucking zooms and shit is so interesting. It's a super weird dichotomy there. Yeah, I don't know. So cool. All right. Let's, uh, let's roundtable it. We're getting along here. Um, I, I'm, I'm genuinely curious because I know I've been waiting to hear. I know Byron and I both like, you know, Killing, obviously. No, we don't like killing. We like killing the same <laughs> uh, No, you had to write the first one. Um, so, you know, I'm curious. And then, you know, I, had, I hadn't seen The Lobster until this episode. Um, so uh, I guess we could start with Byron some around. So should we do be- best between these two, or should we do just favorite Yorgos movie overall? Because we've all seen the favorite. Both. I wanted to do both, actually. Okay. Because um, I am curious about that, too. Huh. So just, but but start with between the two oh, okay um because i think i'll start with byron um i'm just gonna go killing he, he yeah he does like killing but what movie does he like, <laughs> <laughs> he likes slang uh, um <laughs> no killing with sacred deer though because it's just i mean everything we've said so far it's right or there's it's gnarly at, you know especially at the end all the cinematography yeah. the sound tone I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm totally with uh Keith on this one in in that it's killing you know, it's a it's um the movie's a lot heavier in like a very Byron kind of way, you know, like in its tone. Like uh, Lobster I think is a little bit more funny, a little it maybe it's hev- more heavy for the char- like the like it's less I don't, I don't really, I don't really know what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know how to phrase it, dude. I like, cause I know what I'm thinking. Like, but I, uh, I'm just gonna go with killing. I don't, I don't need a reason. I don't need a reason. But there is a reason. But I can't explain it with words. Like, I don't know how. Yeah. No. I think you guys are right. I think the killing of sacred deer is that is is my favorite. But it's close though, cause the lobster might be more like entertaining. Or not as entertaining, just maybe more enjoyable in the sense of I I laughed my fucking ass off with my brother when we saw it the first time. Like we were literally like crying. It was so funny. <laughs> we were we were like we just and a part of it was we were just in the mood for Yorgos Lanthimos, you know, we loved Dogtooth and you know just so it was the per, it kind of came out perfect the perfect time, you know. Um, I really liked the lobster. And then the favorite, I've only seen that once. You know, all the all the other films I've seen a couple times, so uh, I, it's hard for me to judge the favorite. But it's right up there with, with, you know, um, with uh, dog tooth. Uh, well, no. Um, oh fuck! Alps? With the lobster, um, because oh. it it's just so unique, and I love the cinematography of it. You know, but I think Killing Every Sacred Deer is just everything about it I, li- I like the themes it's darker it's more serious it's super super dark comedy and just i don't know i really like what he does with uh colin farrell i think his work with colin farrell is is kind of something special oh, that's what I was gonna say. you know yeah. what i mean i don't know I, his, his choice yeah. to let colin farrell use his actual like voice for killing was <laughs> yeah. spot on yeah like, yeah that irish sensibility <laughs> was spot on 
Yeah. And I love so, his beard. Did, would you say Killing is your favorite or of all the Lanthimos, or should we guess what your favorite is? Oh, oh, yeah. You can just say it, it, it's It's for all of them, yeah. It is yeah. for all. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. I thought you, you gave that away. Would you say, so just probably checking. what, Killing Lobster favorite? Right Drop now, yes. Yeah. Well, favorite might take the cake eventually because I've only seen it once, and Robbie Robertson's cinematography was fucking amazing, and I might fall in love with it more if I watch it a second time, you know? Uh, right. So right now, it's The Lobster's the Robbie second. Ryan. But, right. or Robbie, yeah, Robbie Ryan, fuck. Um, and, then, and then Alps and then Dogtooth? Uh, Dogtooth, then Alps. Yeah. Yeah, Alps is my least favorite. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what Alps I meant. Yep. Favorite, yeah. Alps is, yeah makes sense okay yeah. all right we'll do jacob last so cool well i think it's obviously killing of the sacred deer um <laughs> for uh, you know just how much you've gushed over it um on the podcast not <laughs> in the podcast on your letterbox thing like I, I actually did you see the lobster before this or this is your first time watching that. My first time was watching for for watching it was for this episode. It was for this episode. Yeah, hey, I'm still going killing just because I think that's you like killing man. You like killing men. I like slaying that. You like slaying <laughs> that men. Um, I just think you liked it when the kid died. <laughs> Always satisfying. Uh, yeah, I, I'll definitely <laughs> go with killing um, as your favorite of the two. Um. But I think, don't get me wrong. I think you still really like the lobster, you know. I, like, yeah. I, I, it's 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 probably as like comedies go, you know, like, oh, yeah. up there, you know. With, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, killing a second deer for sure. Like, uh, I like the lobster. I think it's pretty solid. Um, and I'd like, you know, I like kind of the weird, like, ending, the sort of, like, you know, uh, not cliffhanger ending, but yeah. trails off. It almost is just kind of like a couple of, like, you know, ellipses, just dot, dot, dot. Um, both end in restaurants. They do. Isn't that weird? They do both end in restaurants. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Killing a Sacred Deer, though, it's just, like, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of just, like, the, the culmination of, of, like, every, of all the sensibilities just makes sense for that yeah. genre. Yeah, uh, and it makes sense for other genres too. But like, I just feel like that's like really like the pinnacle. Yeah, um, and the favorite's good. Uh, I think the favorite was more for the actors mm. than it was for Lanthimos. Mm. Whereas like killing, you know, killing was just seemed more for him. Yeah, um, and then you know, it's just it's like psycho thriller. Like I just sucker for psycho thriller. What can yeah. I say? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I was trying to see what I did. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I rated them fairly similar. But yeah, when I saw Killing the first time, I was like, I don't even know how to. Like, literally, the only word I had was just "wow" because I didn't yeah. know how to like put it into words. Yeah. How much it was just like, holy <laughs> right. shit! Like, that's awesome. Blowing my mind that's over funny. here. Um, I think so. Overall, <laughs> overall, it's Killing. Killing of Sacred Deer. Probably. Probably Dogtooth. Yeah. It's been a while since I saw the favorite too. Um, might be the favorite when I first watched it. It, it grew on me after I thought mm-hmm. about it, but when I the initial reactions was it didn't hit me as hard. 
So it's hard to say, like you said, without a rewatch. Yeah. I want to say Lobster is third, maybe. Yeah. Favorite outs. Mm-hmm. But that like that could and probably will just change. I think the favorite has a lot going for it that I just yeah. need to rewatch, um, and see. You know, yeah. having rewatched all of them and seen the Lobster now, like it helps. Yeah. But I think yeah, at least the top two is Killing and probably Dog Tooth. Yeah. I'd say. Mm-hmm. Which is probably not shocking to anyone listening. <laughs> um, all right, so Jacob, this is this is one because you've been very quiet about killing the sacred deer, and I this is your first time, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've seen the lobster once before, um, and then first time seeing killing of the sacred deer. You've been really quiet about it, but I feel like it's still the lobster. Um, you've spoken very highly about the lobster, and it's just. It kind of sees, uh, seems to fit your sensibilities when it comes to film. So, I think you err on the side of comedy usually. I don't know any, how many times have we had comedy versus something else. It's not comedy though. Yeah, I don't actually know. I have to look back. All, but. all of these are kind of comedies. Yeah, you know? they yeah, are. they're all. They I are. mean, but the lobster is more comedy. Probably. Yeah. One of the funniest parts of killing a second deer is when the kid's like, I'm going to go to the window. And he just rolls out of the bed. Yeah. And there's this little thump. thump. <laughs> yeah. The cold kid is like, oh, no. Yeah, she's like trying to put her up. Yeah. While says, yeah, oh, God. Um, uh. I would have to say the lobster for sure. Um, I think, I think, I think you appreciate, obviously, comedy more but i think it's also i think you if there's anything the podcast has shown me you do really appreciate um stuff that's like gutsy and like full-blown vision like old boy like that like when you saw old boy you were just like holy cow you know um right so i think the lobster is like it's, it's such its own unique thing and i think like the fact that there's like all those animals like in the forest and little details like that, I think just push it ahead a little bit more than than um, killing a sacred deer in the other films. I think lobsters more dense too. Like I've noticed that too, where yeah. the films that tend to be a bit more shallow. I don't remember what did we do. It was Neon Demon and something else. I can't remember, but Ghost. Oh yeah, so that was a bad. That's a bad. I don't remember if you even liked Neon Demon that much, but I know that one's really shallow. I love Neon Demon. Oh, yeah. you, that's okay. Never mind. Well, mm-hmm. maybe I'm just wrong. I usually, I don't know. I feel like you like well, it when there's a little more substance to it. Yeah. Well, like because Anna Lily Amapora episode, those like oh, I, that's a good I, example. Yeah. I, she's a great filmmaker and stuff, but the the it felt so on the surface that I just it exactly. <laughs> and yeah. Killing can definitely have those where it's like if you're not into the sort of. Uh, um kind of uh almost slow burn kind but of. it's like the greek uh it's not oh. greek tragedy but just like you know like the the kind of it's not fairy tale but you know what i'm talking about where it's like well it, it is an adaptation of like it is Agamemnon it's a loose whatever, yeah. loose retelling of an old but it, it is a greek tragedy but there's like the mythology like there's not necessarily a lot of substance to it it's just kind of a story yeah um, right, and I think Killing is like that, where Lobster actually it seems to be making more <clears throat> of a statement and has a, kind of a denser writing to it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, you, you guys are totally both right. I mean, I, I, I can I can appreciate um, Killing of the Sacred Deer and and its craft and stuff, but 
the lobster just is more um, my cup of tea. Definitely. Um, so yeah, I'd pick the lobster. And then for my overall, um, I'd probably go with the lobster as my favorite of his. And then probably what um, the, favorite, the favorite I'd imagine. Uh, no, I'd go dog tooth oh, okay. and then the favorite guess, yeah. and then killing of the sacred that's deer I, and then yeah. Alps. Okay. That's kind of how I feel about or what I thought yeah. too. So Pretty we're all yeah. a little different, but also we all agree that Alps is our least favorite. <laughs> yeah, I think like well, it's weird because like I I love the craft of Alps. Yeah, Alps like is, I love what he did. Yeah, but as far as just like what I like in movies, like yeah. it just. And it's like not as rewatchable for other stuff. It, it it needs to not be paired with Dog Tooth. That's the thing. Like Dog Tooth is so like yeah, b- pushing the envelope just to switch to Alps. Like you know what I mean. Like Alps needs to be watched in its own kind of. Contained. Alps is like the right. Jackie Brown of. Like, it is. You know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> like Alps is a great movie if it's not a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. Yeah. You yeah, know what I mean. But because it. it's like coming after Dog Tooth, it's then it's like more of a debut. You know, like it would make like more it sense be, yeah. if it was like that was the debut, and then he came out with Dogtooth, and it was like, oh, you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dogtooth yeah, exactly. is like the black sheep in his filmography. It's the we- it's like the weirdest one. It's the one that it's 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 just like the one that's like a slice of life, and all, all the rest of them are just not like that at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes Great. sense. Though I, I had the feeling, you know, I'll you know just kind of what it is, and I knew killing. There's a certain taste you have to have. Not to say like there's a, you don't have a there's taste, a certain like, taste for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't mind it. I, I just yeah. I like other. It's stuff. like again you, you putting know. it up against a lobster. If you watch it out of context, away from it being a lanthimos or next to the lobster, you know, you're, I think the perception oh, yeah. of yeah. it changes quite a bit. So plus, it's it's me picking Dogtooth second is really a testament to Dogtooth because I put Rachel Vice third and. In, in the favorite, you know? <laughs> so really, the, you know, if Dogtooth Dog didn't exist, it'd just be Rachel Vice first and then the rest of the films. <laughs> Makes sense, though. Dogtooth is just so poignant, you know? It is, movie. yeah. So, yeah. Um, but definitely, there's no reason to not watch all of his stuff. Uh, people call him inaccessible, um, but I think, you know... I think that's a great word to describe it. To I think people it. can watch it, though. I think he, his inaccessibility is is a little more overstated. Um, there's no reason to not watch all of them. And, I mean, start with the favorite, maybe. if Maybe that's the best place to start, because it's getting all the reviews. And I guess it's probably his, quote, most accessible movie. Uh, if it I, totally If is. you just watched him kind of in reverse order, you probably would be... You'd get it. By the time you hit Alps and Dogtooth, you'd be like, okay, I get it. Like, what's happening, right. you know? I I kind of think the lobster is the most accessible. Yeah, yeah, but you're maybe right. maybe it's the favorite because of Emma Stone or whatever. I, I but know. I think his favorite might be more accessible. I know that there's this lady that I worked with briefly. She was, like, maybe in her mid-30s, and she just probably would be considered like the ordinary mm-hmm. person film watcher or whatever <laughs> she's a bank teller yeah no well yeah <laughs> um, she's probably a bank teller and she she red boxed the lobster not knowing exactly what it was and she couldn't get oh, through fine. it because it she just didn't understand she just couldn't get over 
how stylistic the performances and everything were and she didn't understand oh, yeah. it because she's like there's got to be a reason why they're acting like this but she couldn't oh. buy into that she couldn't she couldn't just let that go mm-hmm. and i thought that was interesting that makes so sense. i don't know i that might just be a turnoff whereas the the favorite it's it's a little bit more lively it's not as deadpan yeah you know? it's snappier no, I think, too. yeah yeah i think yeah, you're more right. dialogue yeah it's like when you they know, deliver the dialogue it's like they snap that dialogue yeah, yeah. in and then they cut it's, it's a little like sassier. It's, yeah, yeah exactly yeah 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 and the weird thing about the favorite is it it feels so idiosyncratic or whatever but like with like the costumes and the ducks and stuff but all that stuff is real all that stuff is like based on real things like the duck racing was an actual thing oh, yeah, and totally. it's like the more you like look into the movie and like the like what they were doing in it like the, you come to realize that all this stuff is actually like founded yeah. in reality and that that is the most idiosyncratic element of that movie <laughs> like the for, drunk for dudes me. throwing tomatoes at the naked guy. Yeah, yeah like yeah. everything yeah. is like ba- is is oh, real God. is based on a real thing yeah and that was the most bizarre news of that film for me <laughs> yeah i would say I don't know. If you really wanted to get serious, I'd say the lobster, or the favorite, the lobster killing Dogtooth Alps. And by the time you hit Alps, you'd be like, okay, I get what's going on. <laughs> to the point where, like, you wouldn't be like, oh my god, like, this is kind of a drag. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, or maybe Alps Dogtooth, but yeah. Anyway, his shit's good. I'm glad we, we got to cover him. I wonder um, what he's doing next. <clears throat> what's that? <laughs> wonder what he's doing next. Me too. Because he's seen, I mean, I feel like the favorite kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Just like the type of, the, the setting really and the, yeah. and the placement of the movie kind of came out of nowhere. Maybe he'll do one of our pitches. Maybe he'll do a Western. Dude, I hope so. <laughs> a Western, yeah. Dude, if he went fucking Tarkovsky and did like sci-fi. That'd be so Solaris cool. Solaris sci-fi. Yeah. I'd be all over that. Dude, show. that would actually be That awesome. would be really cool. Uh, dry dry like flat performances in sci-fi is like that's like where sci-fi lives man. <laughs> just like floating through space just being just like dry fucking flat tones oh, with rachel vice yeah. just narrating over the whole speak oh speaking of here's here's a film just to point out keith in our long-standing conversation about how you don't like voiceover in movies the lobster great narration throughout the entire thing it's awesome. It here's, is, here's the the character is narrating it, and then you meet the character like like midway through, like past <laughs> the midway point. You're introduced to Rachel Weisz's character, and then you're like, oh my god, she's been narrating the whole thing. But you coolest, know, but like she has a voice that's ever. really peculiar, though. Like you know, it's her when she talks. Yeah. If you've like heard her at all, it reminds me of the of the. It seems to be more of a discussion, like in a house that Jack built, where she's mm-hmm. like almost talking. She's telling someone like, and the nymphomaniac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so it's framed more like that, and you know, like I'm trying to figure out what really gets me about the narration more than anything. Right. Um, and in the lobster too, I think it's a little cheeky, like the narration is cheeky. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Where like, yeah, that's totally fair. Uh, you know, magical realism is like, and then they pranced down the road, and it was magical, yeah. and, you know, and then they ran into the fucking rhino that's gonna kill it, like, you know, like it's it's like very serious yeah and you're it's like okay we know we know that's happening like duh yeah but like with lanthimos it's like tongue-in-cheek kind of narration like yeah yeah, we know that's happening but it's also kind of ridiculous that you're saying it which is just part of the ridiculous way of the way they talk like i don't know there's like it's crazy that you're saying this in this way yeah yeah. it's kind of it's very off-putting yeah i mean because the thing about like narration voiceover too is like it is a cinematic technique 
that exists. And I try to err on the side of like, there's no bad technique. Like all techniques have a place and you should have a toolkit. And somewhere deep in your toolkit, if you really need it, you should be able to pull out oh, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and there's, there's just certain styles of narration that just really just like, okay. Like you could have just shown me the film. Yeah. Been fine. yeah. Right. Like, I love this. I'm, I'm slowly <laughs> winning the argument. So this is really. <laughs> Not really. I'll never give you the full win on that. One. Um, all right. So we are doing a pitch this week. Um, so I guess uh, stick around after the break for the pitch. See you in a second. We are pitching. Stick around. Welcome back. This is the Backpack Pitch Fest, where we each have 30 seconds to pitch a plot to a movie based on this week's topic, and we vote on whose is best. Uh, this week, we're... So, with the lobster and uh, killing of a sacred deer, kind of deal with characters who come in and kind of disrupt what's going on, the kind of usual status quo. So, our characters must do that. Or must be characters that disrupt the, uh, the system here. Or, or they are characters who are being disrupted, right? I don't know. You wrote characters that disrupt the system, so that's what I went with. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going. Ba- I'm basing this off of you, what you wrote, so right. Okay. Um, I don't know. Well, either way, I guess. A, right. A character is disrupting a system. Yeah, something is being right. disrupted here. That's okay. The whole cool. <laughs> um. Uh, who the fuck went first? Let Byron go first or Jake go first? That's cool. Yeah. No, who went first? Oh, I think I think, I, oh, I, think I went first. I volunteered, so why don't we do Byron? Cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's your title? Uh, statuette. Statuette. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. And go. A young American girl who finds herself at the top of the Billboard Top 100 chart with an original song of hers that she had posted to YouTube suddenly decides to announce she will be performing on a live TV show. Her fans are ecstatic and are thrilled that she will finally reach a larger audience. However, she has other plans. When the cameras are rolling and millions of people are watching, she decides to shock the world by coming out on stage completely nude and painted red. We witness the backlash and the deeply troubling reason of her actions. Hmm. Oh, Miley Cyrus. <laughs> basically it's like perfect blue miley cyrus oh damn there you go sweet um all right what was it called oh statuette statuette okay uh mine is just called the monastery sweet are you ready i think so and go a man awakens in a dark cave to find himself in a monastery for blind monks he can't remember how or why he is there but there are quite a few others in the same situation they are all soon forced into the process of becoming a monk, but when the man gets a weird vibe, he manages to avoid having his eyes removed. Now the only one who can actually see, he carefully works to unravel the mystery of the monastery and the true darkness that lives there. Dope. That's fucking uh. sick. That's fucking sick. All right. The monastery. Monastery. Okay. Jacob. Uh, mine is called The Blight. The Blight. Ooh, title all too. right. Are you ready? Yes. And go. 
A prequel to my previous pitch, The Garden. The fifth generation of pure Adam and Eve run a household and everything is perfect. One day, a homeless boy shows up to their house. They take him in. After a series of strange occurrences, they determine that the boy is a sinner and he has spread sin to their children, thus forcing them to secretly have to have two new children and then eat from the forbidden tree to learn the power of sin in order to kill the boy and their corrupt children before the kids and the elders become aware. Ooh. Is this wow. the first time we have a, had a sequel? On a direct the, sequel pitch? Uh, on the <laughs> I pitch think so. fest, I think. I think so. Yeah. I, I uh, I've I've done a couple. I did the I did the samurai the wuxia trilogy. Oh, that's right. right. That's right. right. The that's divine right. comedy wuxia trilogy. But this is like a, a little more direct. Yeah. A little yeah, yeah. a little more like like a, a tied like with uh, it's it's a prequel though. But pretty much the same Sweet. thing. Cool, okay. cool. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, kind of. <laughs> oh, uh, I have to pick first. Um. I'm gonna go with Geats uh, this time. Um, cool, cool. Uh, just man, monks and eyes, and that's my type of shit right there. Um, <laughs> but I know, I, but I like the Adam and Eve um, uh, co- concept too, because I picked yours last time. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I really, I really like both. But th- there's something about that whole idea. I, I, that would be a cool short film to make. You know, yeah. You'd, you'd be able to cast that and and film in a cool location. That'd be fucking sick. That would yeah. be actually really cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm gonna go with Jacobs. Woo. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I like I like how you kind of went with a sequel, uh, and kind of twisting up the reasons why they might have to, you know, <laughs> actually eat from the tree. Um, and Byron's, I feel like yours was kind of like the Alps of your oh, okay. plots yeah. where it's like, I wish you would have come out swinging more. Like, yeah. <laughs> That'll be like a new, like back to back reference now. Yeah. No, that's was awesome. it like dog that's food awesome. or was it like Alps? Just yeah. like that. Um, cool, cool. But yeah, I just, yeah, I feel like, uh, you, you came out and then didn't really swing as much as you should have with that one. So, yeah, no worries. Um, Jacob's this week. Well, well, I I like both. I think they're both really good, and I I, I think Keith's. I think yours is really interesting because it because it is really small, and it's it's kind of like the Dark Knight Rises, but like just like the story of him like in the pit, sort of a thing. Like he like you know, it's very monk like, and you have the eye things, but I also like Byron's too because it is like that, like hey why do people do this kind of stuff and like how why do people respond to people who do things like Miley Cyrus you know mm-hmm. and I, I think that's but obviously this is like way more extreme this is like um um uh, who, who played Stanley Yell Nats I'm blanking on his name the uh the kid in holes um oh Shia LaBeouf Shia LaBeouf yeah, yeah. so like Shia LaBeouf goes through his weird like art thing where he's like sitting in front of the camera and oh, stuff. Yeah. It, it it just kind of reminded me of that and I'm so like I've never seen a movie that like focuses on that so I'm gonna have to go with Byron's for this just cause, <laughs> All right. just cause it is like yeah I just want that to be explored that sounds really neat but I, I like yours Keith and for yours sure. is like still really good and I, I would probably have voted for it if I think Byron pulled like a little trump card uh, on me that I didn't I wasn't aware was a trump card <laughs> fair enough fair go. enough alright so uh, tied it up Sweet. no one takes this one uh, that's cool though 
it's fun uh fun when we all kind of have something that is like you know attuned with the other people or whatever so yeah yeah uh awesome so uh go ahead and check us out on letterbox jacob fultz byron goet g-o-u-e-t-t-e and hyperion creator for me uh be sure to check out next week's happy hour episode where we kind of decompress I, well what likely happens we'll i'll be kind of decompressing all the shit we've watched and haven't talked about um and then after that check out the next two films uh which will be some of our more accessible films that we've watched in like a few months i feel like yeah <laughs> we've gone pretty heavy uh um, we've been hitting the audience hard across the head for sure we have we have uh we'll be doing dread and the raid kind of talking about two films that are i guess what i'm calling kind of floor by floor action uh they both take place in a building and the whole point is to to get to the top <laughs> cut off the head right. um and that's really like snowpiercer but on a vertical level exactly exactly yeah. and it keeps the I, I mean it's really just that basic uh which will be nice right. it'll be kind of you know just some mindless action which will be nice to kind of talk about uh yeah that's it for this week uh thanks for listening thanks guys thanks guys bye